Coming up on Put It On The Board, we have a World Baseball Classic update with Team USA going to the championship game, Team Japan, Team Mexico, and uh, the age-old debate that is kind of taking the baseball world by storm about what major league teams should do with their players in the World Baseball Classic, given the recent injuries to Edwin Diaz, Jose Altuve, and uh, many more should teams let their players play. We've got that. Then your White Sox starting right fielder on opening day might have been teased based on uh, some of the billboards and flags and things flying outside the stadium. So we will uh, talk about your starting right fielder. And then uh, who should the opening day starter be? What should the opening day lineup look like? It's getting close right around the corner. So Finally starting to get the butterflies, start getting that baseball feeling back. We talk uh, all of these topics and a lot more, get into some good debates coming up on episode three of Put It On The Board. Let's go. Today is Monday, March 20th, 2023, and we are 10 days from opening day. 10 days, Noah. Uh, welcome into episode three of Put It on the Board. And I just have to say off the bat, uh, I botched that last week a little bit. I got a little, you know, excited prematurely thinking we were 10 days away from opening day when we were, in fact, about 17. But now we are 10 days away. So, uh, if you heard that last week, please pardon uh, me getting overly excited about baseball. I just can't wait for it to get here. Now we are 10 days. How do you feel that we can start counting down? Today is Yoan Moncada Day, and we will kind of be uh, working our way down to the single digits this week. Yeah, I'm really excited. Um, I had a tweet during the offseason, and this was back in January, where I, I kind of said that this was the least excited I had been about a White Sox season in a while. And uh, at the time, that was true. I, I was upset about how the offseason had gone. Uh, the the bad vibes from 2022 were still in my head. Um, but there's nothing like spring training and getting these guys out there and watching baseball that really gets rid of those feelings and gets me excited again. So I can't wait. Uh, I'm counting down the days. March Madness, NFL free agency have kind of held me over the past week or so, but uh, I'm definitely ready to get baseball going. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of like the recipe this time of year is can my college basketball team get me far enough into the season with interest to get you close? And then is your NFL team giving you something to talk about and a little bit of buzz? And I, I do feel like the Bears, shout out to the Bears and Ryan Poles for uh, being the talk of the town over the last few weeks in the NFL, uh, but them getting to March uh, and then just the tournament with both Northwestern and Illinois um, for the Chicagoland people to watch and root for this weekend has got us to a point now where do we wish they were playing next weekend in the Sweet 16? Absolutely. But even with neither team active, we're now 10 days away where we're like, okay, baseball is here. You've done your job. Now let's clock in. Uh, and also to your point, I, uh, I couldn't agree more because baseball has this wicked way of doing this every year to every fan. You just kind of get caught up in the magic of it. And like, it doesn't matter what your expectations are for the season. You can think 
things aren't going to go well. You can look from an objective viewer standpoint to try and project what your team may look like. That's what we're going to do next week on our season preview. But regardless of how I feel about the off season or about the team, there's nothing that beats like seeing those uniforms for the first time in April. And you start to really get that feeling like spring training is cold to me. Now I don't care as much. I want guaranteed rate field. And I tweeted it today. I want to sit down on a Tuesday afternoon and watch White Sox and Royals on a rainy Tuesday when nobody's there, but just get excited because I get to see Luis Robert and white pinstripes. And I'm just, I'm pumped up for it. Like that, it's such a feeling in April that I, I just kind of love the magic of it and of what could be months down the line. Um, and we're officially into that season right now. Yeah, I can't wait. And uh, I can't help but think that these guys that have been playing uh, the last few weeks in the World Baseball Classic, uh, I don't know if you've tuned into any of the games the past week or so, but the atmosphere has been electric. I think every game here in Miami has been a sellout. Um, and especially for these guys on Team USA that are just feeling this atmosphere that's undoubtedly like a playoff atmosphere. I'm wondering if Tim Anderson and Lance Lynn, if they're going to come back to the White Sox and they're going to say, guys, we need this again. And we need to get back to the playoffs so we can have this kind of atmosphere again. Well, yeah. I mean, I, the home openers and stuff are going to be fun, but I hope there's no like hangover either. Like that. I thought about that the other day of, you know, you go from being in an atmosphere where like Tim Anderson was on third base the other day when Trey Turner hit that grand slam for team USA. And uh, you watch the video of, and Tim's just kind of like jumping down his way down third base. Like it, it's a world series or playoff type of moment. And, and it's amazing going from that and, and the adrenaline that players can have to those cold, rainy April games where maybe the turnout isn't the best. Uh, I hope there's no hangover there. That would be a little bit odd. It, it, baseball kind of feels like you build up to those big moments and those big crowds and the deeper into the year and the more competitive you are, you almost play your way into fun electric games like that but yeah getting it right off the bat it's like dropping you in the deep end and now you have to go back onto training wheels of trying to like earn that so maybe there is a little bit of hey guys we have to we have to get this and the White Sox are fortunate enough to have seven players is it on the major league roster that are in the world baseball classic so there's a lot of them that are getting to experience it right now and you hope that once they get back in camp this week that they will uh, bring some of that with them as well. But uh, let's talk about the World Baseball Classic, Noah, because I have been watching. You've been watching. It has been a lot of fun. It has helped with this uh, kind of lull in sports since the Super Bowl to uh, have baseball to watch. That's not spring training baseball, but actually rowdy MLB all-stars kind of like putting on a show and representing their countries and just a lot of fun. I've really enjoyed watching it. So if you haven't been, uh, make sure you are trying to stay tuned in here because we have a couple big games coming up. I believe Monday night will be the semifinal game between Mexico and Japan uh, and the United States awaits the winner of that game. When does that play Tuesday? Will that be the championship? Yeah, Tuesday night is the championship. So Tuesday will be the championship. The USA beat team Cuba. Uh, well, we're recording on Sunday night. So earlier tonight, Team USA just whomped Cuba. Um, and, you know, Trey Turner continuing his Captain America run here. 
It has been so, so fun. Uh, I mean, do you just have any overarching thoughts on the games themselves and kind of these teams and uh, who are you hoping Team USA gets in the championship? I don't know if you have thoughts either way on that. Yeah, these games are a lot of fun. And like I alluded to a little bit before, I mean, every single one of these games is just an electric atmosphere. And you can tell that these players care. Um, I think I think you saw the video as well uh, of the players on the Dominican team um, when they were asked if Wild. they care more about the World Series Wild or the World video. Baseball Classic. And Wild. at least four or five of them said they like representing their country and they would rather win the World Baseball Classic. So obviously these okay. are games well, that hang these on, guys care hang about. On. Hang on. We have to talk about that a minute because I, I don't want to make it a huge deal. I don't want to be all controversial or something. Get out of my face with that. I was praying that they did not show Eloy Jimenez in that video while they're ro- rolling through the, the team DR and, and like all the uh, all the players on the Dominican team. I was like, if you show Eloy, if you show Eloy, I'm going to lose it right now because like I get it. And it especially means more in some of these Latin countries to represent your country and, and to play on this international stage and the eyes that it gets. It definitely means something. When you talk about how many viewers China versus Japan had in a baseball game, like, I think that's really good for the growth of the sport, but Noah, it is seven games. You win, you do four games in pool play, a quarterfinal, a semifinal, and a final. If you're winning at all, you are playing seven games and it just blows my mind that some of these guys could genuinely care more about uh, the World Baseball Classic and a seven-game stretch in March than the 162-game grind with a bigger tournament uh, and just the rigors of a full season that the major leagues has with electric atmospheres late in the year, like we mentioned, like just as big of crowds, just as passionate of fans, and the bonding that kind of takes place in a major league clubhouse as well. So that surprised me, honestly. And, and I didn't love it. I don't know. I mean, none of the guys that had said that have actually won a world series. I think that's worth mentioning. If you go through the names, I, do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, I, w- I felt like a Scrooge, man. I felt like the guy I'm like, I don't want to be that guy, but uh, I don't love that. You, this should be your priority. No, I agree with you. I I do understand why players like it. I understand the idea of, you know, I'm playing for my country here. My entire country is rooting for me and watching me and all of this stuff. And that's awesome. Like, I'm happy that these guys get to go out there and do that. Um, But yeah, you're right. I mean, seven games is nothing compared to, you know, six months, months. even more. I mean, you're, you're arriving in the beginning of March. And if you're in the world series, you're at the beginning of November, basically. Like you were talking an eight month period here of like seven to eight month period of just nonstop show up every day. And these games are not short. We'll see how short they are this year, but these games are not short. Like a baseball schedule wears guys out and, and the, the level of chemistry and bonding that you have to have. And like, it captures a city, especially if you play in a good city that like has a passionate team, like, yeah, just mind blowing to me. Yeah, and I will say, uh, and I know we talked about this a little bit earlier in the week, but 
Um, that that is a video that was posted online, and we can't be sure about the context of the video. So maybe they asked the question to more people that they didn't show, and they only showed the ones that answered in that way. Maybe they kind of phrased the question differently to different and people. Maybe some of the guys are saying that because they're there, right? You're yeah. at the world. There's Baseball also Classic. some recency bias. You're, we- you're wearing Dominican Republic across your chest, getting ready to suit up for a quarterfinal game or whatever it was. There is some sort of like, yeah, you might just say that, but I, I don't know. I'm watching Nelson Cruz, a 41, 42-year-old, however old he is guy now, who has worked his tail off for his entire career and never won a World Series. He's been there a few times. He was there with Texas. He's been on some good teams before, and he's experienced the playoffs and, and the ups and downs. And I'm like, really? This guy that's given over 20 years to professional baseball would rather do well in a seven game tournament like than you know become the champion in the best league in the world. Yeah, but I don't think that that necessarily means that these guys don't care. I I think if you asked every single guy out there, yeah, well no, how I much mean, they care, not, I mean they're not mutually exclusive. Yeah, they're dedicating their livelihood to going out there and winning a world series. So I don't think anyone listening to this should get that confused. Just because these guys say they care more about the World Baseball Classic, that doesn't mean they don't care about winning the World Series. I mean, that's that's what they're working for. That's the ultimate prize that any baseball player can achieve in any season. Apparently not. (laughs) Apparently it's a World Baseball Classic title for two good weeks in March. Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) It's surprising for sure. You're, You're not wrong about that. Like... Uh, this feels like a no nah, I'm not gonna say that I was gonna do a football thing but then it's probably the, I, it'd be like an NBA player being like I, I just really want to win the Olympic gold it's like no you were playing for your NBA team like they're like I, I don't know but if I'm already sounding like a controversial Scrooge and you know whatever let's get into the next topic because this has been in the forefront of baseball talk Noah and it is Related to injuries in the World Baseball Classic. Now, really unfortunate this past week because things were going well. No players had really had any injuries. The the MLB All-Stars were all showing out, seemed to be having a great time. And then Edwin Diaz, uh, Team Puerto Rico, had advanced to quarterfinal play out of pool play, I believe it was. Uh, and he is celebrating with his team after getting the final save. And tore his patellar in his knee um, really, really awful. The Astro, or uh, sorry, the Mets believe he is done for the season. So a team that, by the way, just gave him over a hundred million dollars in, in fully guaranteed money to stick around um, in Queens and Steve Cohen, obviously a manager that's not a, uh, gen- ugh, sorry, an owner that's not afraid to go spend or go do whatever it takes to compete though, still sucks because this is your hundred million dollar closer. Uh, a guy that you've built a brand around and the trumpets and has become so synonymous with the Mets in the last few years, now potentially done for the year. Luckily they have David Robertson and a couple other guys that have closing experience in that bullpen that should be able to help them up. And the Mets should be fine. Um, But unfortunate for Edwin Diaz as well. And then Jose Altuve breaks his thumb in the world baseball classic and uh, the Astros believe he's out eight to 10 weeks. They're hoping for late May. And finally, Noah, just a few hours ago, 
it hit our White Sox. It luckily did not hit our White Sox nearly as hard as it hit Houston or New York, but Chicago White Sox infielder Yoan Moncada uh, had an injury in that game against Team USA. Uh, Bob Nightingale, a couple minutes ago actually, said that the White Sox checked in with Moncada after the game. He has a bruised rib, examined for a concussion, but was cleared. He'll be back with the White Sox early this week. So thankfully, a team that has seen their fair share of preseason injuries doesn't have another one. Really sad, but I guess the question, knowing what you know about the White Sox injury history, how important health is for 2023 and beyond, and what we've seen happen multiple times now in the World Baseball Classic, should the White Sox or any other major league team prevent their players, their MLB level players from playing in the tournament? Um, The short answer to your question is no. Uh, I don't think they should prevent anybody. Um, In my opinion, there's, there's many reasons that I think this, but um, primarily what would they be doing if they were in camp, they would be playing in games and the white Sox have seen injuries in spring training games that were catastrophic. I mean, Eloy Jimenez comes to mind doing something he shouldn't be doing, trying to climb the wall in left field, tears his pectoral muscle and doesn't play until July. And that was just a brutal blow for the White Sox that happened in a spring training game in a game that doesn't count. And I know that playing in a world baseball classic, the effort level is probably different um, than the effort level of playing in a spring training game. But For example, Edwin Diaz was hurt celebrating. It was a little thing. He was jumping up and down. It wasn't any kind of super dangerous, risky thing that he did. He didn't die for anything or anything like that. It was just a freak thing that happened, and it could have happened to somebody in a spring training game too. Um, Jose Altuve's injury, I believe it came on a hit-by-pitch. He was hitting the hand while he was hitting. That's something that could happen in a spring training game too. Yeah. So as far as I'm concerned, the risk to having these guys play with their country team versus playing in a spring training game is not too much different. Um, And we've seen how much these guys care about these games in the World Baseball Classic. So I don't think there's any reason for the White Sox or any other team to tell a guy that they can't participate. It's really hard because, I mean, it's not just the participating, but it's being out of your care I suppose being like you're you're not in team facilities you're not under the watchful eye of your coaching staff and your training staff and you know that can be scary I it's hard but I I think I have to agree with you because like you said this stuff was not I don't want to say freak stuff but kind of almost like everyday stuff that can happen regardless of the effort level like there's no doubt that there's a, a different intensity to the world baseball classic than there is to just a random Wednesday spring training game. But the injuries that can be sustained in baseball are pretty consistent across the board, right? It's like you can be running and hurt yourself and you're still going to be running hard and trying to hustle and, you know, do your best in spring training. You can, you know, hurt something in your arm. We've saw last year, Garrett Crochet, had Tommy John surgery throwing a pitch towards UCL, throwing a pitch in spring training. Uh, And it it was pretty early into the spring. And he said he had been feeling really, really good and then threw a pitch. And that was his season. 
So like these things can happen regardless of like where you're at, Noah. And, and the main reason I have to say yes, because I do think there's a logical argument for no, but the reason I have to say yes is because of player team relationships that I think are often really overlooked by people. Um, it's the same reason we've talked about it, but the same reason teams should never let players go to arbitration. Like you are better off settling for the extra half million dollars than you are hurting your relationship with a player that's important to your organization. And you're, this is also important in, in the World Baseball Classic. Like if it means something to Yoan Moncada and Luis Robert to go out and represent Team Cuba, I think it would kind of create a strain on their relationship with the White Sox if the White Sox said, no, you can't do that thing that you want to do. You grew up in Cuba, watching Team Cuba, rooting for Team Cuba. It's been a dream in many ways to represent your country. We're not letting you do that. And so like there are guys like Dylan Cease who withdraw because it's not as important to them right now. They have other things they want to focus on. But if somebody is committed to the cause, I think you have to let them. And let's also remember, this is not unique to baseball. Like football and basketball, I don't necessarily have this, but hockey has this. And right in Chicago, the Blackhawks got hit in the World Juniors, letting Kirby Dot go overseas a couple of years ago. Um, and he went and played in the World Juniors because that's where all the top young prospects went. And it was what you watched growing up. And it, it meant something to perform well. And he had a, a big injury. I don't remember what it was, but some lower body thing that kept him out for months for the Blackhawks. And it was like, a, well, we never should have let him go. Maybe, but maybe you also should just let your players do what they want and try and nurture your relationship with them. Yeah, and obviously there are limits to letting your players do what you want. Uh, I mean, take Fernando Tatis and the Padres as an example. Tatis, right. of course, right. last offseason broke his wrist on a motorcycle, um, which was, I believe, the second time that he had been in an accident involving said motorcycle. Yeah. And finally, the Padres said, all right, enough is enough. No more riding this thing because it's a risk to you and it's a risk to us and we just can't have it happen anymore. So there are definitely there are definitely situations where the team stepping in and saying, okay, this is not this is not going to continue. I mean, it's probably the right Eloy thing to in happen. the outfield, right? Yeah, I mean, like, he can sit there and say, I want to play the outfield. I want to play the outfield. The White Sox might have to sit him down and be like, hey, man, tough you got to stay healthy <laughs> and like, we got to prevent you and protect you the best we can. So I think that's a really good point. Yeah. And I think Eloy will play the outfield, but I mean, you can't convince me that when he went over the wall and tore his chest two years ago in spring training, that he didn't get a nice talking to from management that sat him down and said, Hey, what are you doing? It's a spring training game. Well, yeah. I mean, his, you know? him being an idiot in spring training and trying to rob a home run is completely different, but all right, not different, but it's a completely separate issue. But I think it goes to your point that sometimes as a team, you have to step in for the best interest of your organization and of the player. The world baseball classic is not one of those things to me because it does mean a lot to certain guys. Um, I think if there was an argument to keep somebody, I, I could argue to keep younger players, prospects maybe, to work with them in camp. Like if Oscar Colas wanted to go play, represent Team Cuba this year, 
I necessarily, I wouldn't necessarily have an issue with the White Sox saying, no, we need you in camp. We need you with this coaching staff, like new staff. We want to get our hands on you. Um, but I mean, these established vets, I mean, you have to let them go. And, and hopefully something happens, you keep your finger, something doesn't happen, you keep your fingers crossed. But um, that's the break sometimes. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I think it all comes down to how risky is it? Uh, like, how much how much danger is there, essentially? And I think the World Baseball Classic is an example of something that there isn't really much more risk than there would be throwing the guy out there in a spring training game. And so, you know, you have all this discourse on, on Twitter. Um, it's really convenient that most of it's coming from Mets fans, but uh, we, that's a whole nother hey, issue. I, listen, I, I sympathize with them and I know some of them have been irrational out there and I think they're letting their emotions do the talking a little bit, but I can't tell you my reaction. My knee jerk reaction would have been all that different had, uh, you know, we found out that Eloy Jimenez had torn his patellar playing left field, diving for a ball like he did with the team Dominican Republic in the world baseball classic or, you know, Luis Robert Torres hamstring sprinting to first base to try and beat out an infield single in the world baseball classic. Like I get it in that sense, but you know, you have to look at it from an objective perspective and saying, well, what Edwin Diaz was doing was not something that was created necessarily by the world baseball classic. It was a unfortunate thing that happened in a odd circumstance, but could have happened anywhere at any time. So, yeah, no, that's exactly right. I, that's the right way to look at it. And like you, I feel bad for Mets fans a little bit, kind of. I mean, they're still pretty spoiled. You're um, fine. I mean, that's the other thing, too, is I can't, like, look at these two teams, Mets and Astros. I can't feel bad for either one of them. Because yeah, I mean, they'll both be fine. If they'll this both happens be to the fine. White Sox, we're dealing with Leary for, for an entire year. We're dealing with, you know, Eloy goes down. We got Billy Hamilton in center field for an entire season. But, no, Steve Cohen will do what he has to do to – uh make sure that team isn't feeling their losses too big, but uh, Noah, we, we should get to white Sox based stuff. And I've mentioned him here a few times, but if you are on white Sox Twitter, you saw the photos going out today, new banners hanging outside of uh, guaranteed right field at 35th and shields. They uh, kind of like on like the street lights, right? Like up top on the street lights where they usually decorate it. Player faces, new pictures from media day uh, and kind of getting ready for the season. Saw the likes of, I believe, Andrew Vaughn was on there. Uh, do I don't even remember who else. Lance Lynn. There, there was an Elvis Andrus one, I believe. Elvis Andrus one. And then people did note Oscar Colas was uh, right on top of one of these banners. So symbolizing likely he is, in fact, your opening day right fielder. I'm not sure that was a huge shock given the way he's played this spring, uh, but almost the confirmation White Sox fans needed that he should be up and he should be a, a big-time factor in this team from the jump here in 10 days. Yeah, you don't typically hang up banners of uh, your minor league players outside your major league stadium. So uh, I would say that this is uh, pretty much the White Sox announcing that Oscar Colas is going to be on the opening day roster, which, like you said, uh, I'm not terribly shocked by this news. I think 
think that was kind of the speculation even during the off season, but especially so uh, since he's been tearing it up here in spring training and he homered again today, uh, just so everyone is aware that's his third now of the spring. Yeah. I mean, I told you too, I didn't think it was a lock that he made the roster a month ago. Like I, I thought he Colas had a little bit of work to do to make the White Sox feel good about his readiness because I mean, he had a great year last year, but he's played very limited baseball at, you know, advanced levels, like very limited ball at double a even never seen triple a. So uh, like, right. He has, he seen triple a, maybe I'm uh, I think he played that. like eight games in triple a last but year. Very, so very limited there ball, at the end, very limited ball, like a half season of really like advanced minor league levels. And so uh, they, I know we know the White Sox like Gavin Sheets. They've been pretty vocal about that in the past. I thought there was a real possibility that Gavin was their, you know, regular right fielder to kick off the year, maybe with a little bit of Jake Marisnik or whoever uh, out in the out, Billy Hamilton, whoever else out in the outfield. Um, Cola, Oscar Colas has played his way onto this team and into this lineup. Um, and I think the only question now, which is what we're about to talk about, is. What should our expectations be now that we feel good about the fact that uh, this is a guy that's going to be playing and up in the majors, hopefully for all 162, what should White Sox fans expect from this guy? Because you don't want to pump him up too early and, and, you know, expect MVP caliber stuff from him. Uh, But, you know, he's given us a lot of reason to be excited, Noah. So I guess before we get into our numbers that we have written down, what are your expectations for Oscar Colas? Yeah, I don't think we can sit here and, you know, declare him an MVP candidate or even necessarily a rookie of the year front runner at this point. Um, But I I mean, he's shown flashes of being a very quality major league player and the power that he's shown is definitely going to translate over into the major leagues here. Um, The one major question for him coming into the year was his pitch selection. Can he lay off bad pitches? Uh, if not, he's going to end up striking out on a lot of breaking balls. But if he if he's able to work on his plate discipline and start taking close pitches and laying off the balls in the dirt, uh, there's no reason that he can't be a very good player. And that could start this year. A lot of swing and miss with him. Uh, pulled up his minor league stats right now uh, last season. But kind of crazy, too, to think about the fact that last season was his first and only uh pro season his only professional season was 2022 of him actually playing baseball stateside 117 games throughout the year he hit 314 with 23 home runs and 79 rbis a 371 on base percentage 524 slugging good for an 895 ops to your point noah uh not not a horrible number of walks 38 walks in 481 at bats he hit 314 but the 371 ops i think is a fine mark on that number but 120 strikeouts in 117 games a lot of swing and miss with him the good side of it i suppose if you're looking at it is he got better based on where he went you know he had a 844 OPS in high A Winston-Salem, but a 927 in double A in 51 games and uh, a really good seven-game stint in Charlotte as well. So as he got more advanced later in the year, he continued to get better. Um, and yeah, a I, couple I things, with- A couple things to note with that. Double uh, A Birmingham, the double A league in particular is known as being a pitcher-friendly league. So to put up good offensive numbers in that league, 
is something that's definitely an accomplishment. Uh, and the other thing I want to note is his splits uh, lefty-righties from the minors last year. So when you typically look at a left-handed hitter, you think this guy's going to tear up righties. He's going to struggle against lefties. But Oscar Colas had uh, 115 plate appearances against lefties last year, and he batted 362 with a 417 on base percentage, a 533 slugging, and his OPS was 951 against lefties. So he put up better numbers against lefties than he did against righties last year in the minors. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's what you get excited about, right? Is just knowing that, like, this is a guy in his first professional season, like, of actually seeing minor league pitching that regularly got better and progressed throughout the year, went to higher levels, found continued success, even more success than he had at the lower levels early in the season, and has now shown up to spring training um, and kind of doubled down on everybody's belief in him by, uh, you know, starting off pretty good. And now the power has finally started to come around where you've just started to see light tower pop out of this guy. Watching him in the spring is so fun. I imagine him pulling these balls and just being like, Oh, look out in the goose Island or whatever it's called now, but just seeing balls fading into the uh, night sky on the South side is really, really fun. So I asked you to write down and I have my own written down just the projected stat line for Oscar Colas. It, this was hard because I don't want to disrespect the guy and like look like a chump in August, but I don't want to get too hyped up too early. So uh, I guess w- what numbers do you have written down? I suppose. I have not uh, specific so this... numbers, just what stat co- categories did you list? Yeah. So I have an average, I have homers uh, on base percentage and OPS. And for me, it wasn't necessarily, my prediction for him, it was more of a threshold that I feel is realistic and that okay. if he achieves, I will be happy. Well, I'll let you start it. I'll let you know what mine is after, and then we can kind of circle back after we've gone through all the stats. Okay, so my average, um, I would like Oscar Colas to hit 260. I don't think that's – I mean, that's nothing record-breaking, but it's not – I don't think it's unrealistic for him to achieve that. So is that um, what is so is that your expectation, your prediction, what like what is that number? Yeah, I'll say this is my realistic expectation that I think is is basically like if he does this I'll be happy. Um and I'm I'm not I'm not asking for him to be an all-star. I'm I'm trying to keep it realistic here. Yeah. So I've got 260, I've got 20 homers. Uh, on base percentage somewhere in the 330, 340 range, and an OPS of in the 750 to 800 range. I think yeah, that's I mean, we're reasonable. Pretty, we're we're pretty similar. I had him uh, with a 276 average. Very random number, I know, but that was uh, kind of what I what I picked. Uh, 276. His OBP I had at 337. So right in your OBP range that you had, uh, I had 17 home runs as my prediction with a 779. OPS. I think a lot of doubles potentially for him, but maybe not as much home run pop as you might think. He has the power. Couple things. So what can we expect? I think you can expect good right field defense at times, undisciplined right field defense, but good talent, good athleticism, a good arm. Those, those characteristics out in right field, you can expect good power. Um, he might not hit 25 home runs. He might hit 17 balls to the concourse. So 
you know, I, that's relative. I know when he gets a hold of one, it can go. Um, a lot of strikeouts you can expect. And I think you can just expect uh, some rookie struggles, which is why my numbers are a little bit down. Would, would I like him to hit, hit 20 home runs? Yes. I think you've seen Andrew Vaughn over the last few seasons kind of be my reason why hitting 20 home runs is really, really hard to do as a rookie at a young age with, let's say limited experience uh, as a professional baseball player. Like he'll be, I think, I think Andrew Vaughn is a different type of hitter than Oscar Colas. No, no doubt. Uh, Andrew Vaughn's a more complete hitter, like in terms of less of a strikeout guy, going to hit the ball hard a lot of the time, but maybe not when Andrew Vaughn to elevate. When Andrew Vaughn came out of college, he was advertised as, this guy's an all-around hitter. He's a professional hitter. He's going to like he's already putting up professional at bats. And so I think Andrew Vaughn, while there may be, you know, 30, 35 homer potential in his future, I don't think that's necessarily what he was advertised as. Well, I think that was more of a he could get there, but for now, we know he'll hit for average. Well, he had a lot of um, pop in college, but yeah, that's a good point and that's why I like Andrew Vaughn as a hitter real a lot because he's a guy to me that's going to have a lot of 30 to 35 home run seasons in the future. He also might have some 19 to 22 home run seasons that he hits 335 in. Like, I think that's kind of the potential of Andrew Vaughn at his peak when he finally kind of hits that threshold of like, there might be years that he's just hitting 45 doubles or 40 doubles instead of 30 home runs. So and then I think Colas is a little bit more of an all or nothing type of guy. Um, so, uh, yeah, that, that's kind of my expectation. It's just so hard to do it over 162. Luis Robert is another example, Noah, of just a guy that, like, I thought had all the makings of a 30-30 caliber player. Um, and maybe he still does, right? We still know the power is there. We still know the, the speed is there. But what we've seen is that like when you struggle to make contact regularly, it becomes very hard to have consistent pop and consistently drive in runs at the major league level. So that's my fear, at least for a rookie Oscar Colas is if he's not regularly squaring up baseballs, you know, he will run into some, but he's also not going to hit 30 home runs like some fans might hope he's going to. Yeah, I was just looking at uh, Oscar Colas's tools here on MLB.com. So his highest rated tool uh, on the 20 to 80 scale is his arm, which is graded at a 65. And next is his power, which is graded at a 60. So um, Luis Robert, yeah, I personally, I still think Luis Robert has 30-30 potential. And I we have yet to see Luis Robert play a full season and stay healthy for a full season. But I think that he has that potential when he does. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's just hard. I mean, he had one home run in the second half or maybe not even, maybe it was one RBI. No, he had no homers and two RBIs in the second half. Yeah, for an entire second half. And like, but you saw him swinging with one hand for a lot of that. And I don't want to read too much into the world baseball classic, but it's looked like a lot of the same. I mean, he's hitting balls hard on the ground like his launch angle doesn't look like what it was in 2020 right now hopefully he's different and and, you know we finally start to see that regular pop but it's just weird the kind of lulls that we can see Luis Robert get into sometimes where it's like he he might be hitting 310 but he's got one homer in the last month and you're just kind of confused at where his pop went 
Yeah, hopefully working with Jose Castro and Chris Johnson and the new the new coaching staff will focus more on launch angle and less on hitting 300 like someone that we know. So hopefully <laughs> they'll kind of unlock Luis Roberts' power. Um, but I'm I'm optimistic about Colas's power, honestly. Um, if there is one thing that I think will for sure be able to get out of him this year, it is home runs. So. I'm more concerned that he's going to struggle to hit for average and struggle to get on base because of his high strikeout rate. But I so think you, the home runs will be there. You think like 220 with 25 home runs is more likely than maybe 270 with 12 home runs. I do. Yeah. I, I think he's more likely to have more home runs and less base hits than the other way around. That's interesting. I can see that. I I, I can definitely see that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just I worry about the barrel rate that and like not to say he hasn't had a great barrel rate in the past, but it's just something you can see over a 162 game season with a lot of these guys. It's like I, 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 you know, scratch my head and I look up to the skies and I say, why can't we have the Julio Rodriguez's of the world on the south side? It's like we got all these prospects, we got them all. We, we, we were loaded and these guys come up and there's growing pains, which is normal. But I'm like, why can't we have the guy that just shows up and is just a star. And we're just like, Oh, thank goodness. We've got, we've got an MVP candidate for the next eight years. That's, that's refreshing. No, there always has to be some big issue that we have to get over health or swing and miss or control of our fastball. Like, uh, Well, that's the life of a White Sox fan. Um, But what I will say regarding Colas is it isn't going to take much out of him to have him be the most productive right fielder the White Sox have had in quite some time. So I think White Sox fans can feel good about that going into the season, that there's a very, very good chance that Oscar Colas is the best right fielder that's been at 35th and Shields playing for the White Sox in a few years definitely yeah I mean that like those numbers that I listed I thought I was being a little bit maybe I was a little too optimistic with the average thinking he can hit 276 as a rookie but I tried to go 17 home runs I went on the lower end of OBP as well and you know even if he's in that 750 to 7 or 750 to 800 OPS range that you mentioned with the defense that we expect him to have that is a win. I mean, that is a huge win. Even if he's not a rookie of the year type of guy, like that is a productive outfielder that you might be able to, you know, count on for 120 to 130 games. Yeah. I don't know how, how much they plan on benching him maybe more frequent at the beginning of the year than once he starts to prove himself. I I don't know what Pedro's idea is, but um yeah, that's certainly what I can expect from him as well. I agree. Noah, Oscar Colas is going to be in the lineup. Let's just assume that maybe not the opening day lineup. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like night one against Houston based on pitching matchups and whatever, but you'd have to assume that the White Sox regular lineup, um, assuming there is one and Tony's not throwing out a different group every day, assuming there's a regular go-to structure of this lineup, Oscar Colas is going to be in it, but what should it look like? Because you mentioned uh, while we were kind of prepping for the pod today that Pedro has been batting Andrew Benintendi third for basically the entire spring training. Now, some people say you should just hit your best hitter, your all-around best hitter third. Some people like the athlete. 
Joe Madden likes to be funky and put slow guys that get on base for front of the order. So you and I each have this. We are going to go through what our ideal White Sox lineup is for opening day and for the season. If the lineup card was in your hands and uh, you were doing the calligraphy, I know Jerry Nayron's no longer with the club, but if you were doing Jerry Nayron calligraphy and penciling in the names, what order do they go through or do they go in the lineup? I have mine. You have yours. Let's get into it. We'll go lead off and we'll go one through nine and talk about each one. I'll let you start and we'll just kind of see how we stack up. I think I went a little unorthodox, so I don't know. Yeah, mine's probably more traditional Um, for the number one spot. It's the guy that's been there for a few years now and maybe his propensity for swinging being a free swinger makes him not necessarily the ideal leadoff hitter, but if the guy hits 320, I don't really care. Uh, that is Tim Anderson. I have him leading off. He's one of your best base dealers. He's one of your best contact hitters. So I've got him in the one spot. I also have Tim Anderson. Uh, let me rephrase what I said. I don't think mine's unorthodox. Like I think it goes to the philosophies that a lot of baseball fans have. I just think my opinions on some of the players and who's best in what spot might be a little bit controversial, but yeah, Tim Anderson's your leadoff hitter and he's not your traditional leadoff guy that gets on base a ton. We know he doesn't like to take walks, uh, but really I like TA at the top of the lineup one to get the most at bats out of him possible. Like if you're going to have a guy that gets hits, uh, hits are valuable (laughs) and more valuable than a walk for, you know, a number of reasons, but he's also just a tone setter and there's something refreshing about, you know, Bottom of the first, let's flip on the White Sox and and we get Tim Anderson stepping into the batter's box to get things started. I think it's a really good thing that they've had going the last few years. Tim likes it too. And as long as he's in rhythm and hitting over 300 like he has been, that's your leadoff guy. All right. And in the number two spot, uh, and this is already where I disagree with Pedro, I have Andrew Benintendi. Um, I think that his contact rate, his his just style of play, I think is ideal for the number two spot in the lineup. Um, he's not going to be a big home run guy. So that's where I kind of disagree with Pedro having him in a spot that's traditionally used for power. But I think he's kind of your ideal uh, left-handed hitter to come up after Tim Anderson. And to separate Tim Anderson from my number three hitter who has a lot of the same tendencies as Tim Anderson. And we'll get to that in just a minute. Yeah. I mean, I also have uh, Andrew Benintendi number two. It it was why I loved the signing was like, well, left field batting second every day. Pedro seems to disagree. We'll see when we get into the season, but yeah, I think he's an excellent fit for a guy that hit over 300 last season between the Royals and the Yankees had a 373 on base percentage as well. Like he's a, a guy who you can rely on to put the ball in play a majority of the time to get on base a good, a good amount of the time. He hits a lot of doubles. So Tim Anderson's on board uh, and you know, you get an extra base hit or some sort of double or even a base hit from Ben and You're probably going first and third. Those are two guys at the top of the lineup that are two of your better pure hitters. And like I said, I like my pure hitters getting more at bats. The higher they are, the better. I think he's better suited for the two role than the three role. Uh, So Anderson, Benintendi, I agree with you there. I've got Luis Robert third. um, And this is different than what Pedro has been doing. He's been switching Robert and Benintendi a lot. At least he was before all of them left for the World Baseball Classic. But we were seeing him going Robert two 
Benintendi 3. And the primary reason that I don't necessarily love that is because, like Tim Anderson, Luis Robert is a free swinger. He swings the bat a lot. Um, I like putting somebody in between the two of them that is a more patient hitter and is a higher on-base guy. But um, like we talked about with Robert before, I think he's got 30-30 potential. I think when healthy, he is a dynamic bat in the middle of that lineup, and I like him in the number three spot to drive runners home and get runners over early. Yeah, so I I disagree here. I do not have Luis Robert as my three hitter. Um, I have a guy that we talked about earlier that, uh, you know, if, if TA's my my tone setter, uh, Benintendi's my support to him and another guy that can get on base, and I plan on having those two on the base paths, I want a guy that I know is going to put the ball in play for one and put the ball in play hard. So uh, I have Andrew Vaughn as my number three hitter. I, I think it's time for him to take that step in his career to become really one of the focal points of this White Sox lineup. Jose Abreu's not here anymore to bat third or fourth or whatever it is. Um, and to kind of be the, the heart of this order, that's Andrew Vaughn's crown now that he has to kind of carry. And it's a heavy crown and hopefully, you know, he does an okay job about it, but yeah, I, I, the reason why Robert is an issue here is because the plate discipline for me has been such an issue with him and uh, nothing worse than, especially if your four or five hitter is somebody who is slow, right. Or not your fastest runner. Now you start getting into a spot where a strikeout with two on double play can end the inning. A lot of things can end the inning where uh, Andrew Vaughn. Yeah. He strikes out some, but he's a guy who I trust to put the ball in play to have good long at bats, make a pitcher work. Uh, He can put the ball out of the ballpark. And I think he'll take a, an increase in power this year. Um, it's his turn to be to be the three hitter. So he's my guy instead of Luis Robert. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, okay, going down the list here at number four, I have the guy who I believe is probably the best overall hitter on the White Sox in their lineup. Um, and I think people forget how good this guy is because of how often he is not in the lineup. And that is Eloy Jimenez. Um, I have him in the fourth spot. We've seen it. I think he is the the reason that light tower power is even a phrase. Uh, we saw that in the minor leagues. I think he literally hit a light tower uh, back when he was still in the Cubs farm system. Um, but take a look at the numbers, man. I mean, when this guy has been on the field, he's been an awesome, awesome bat in their lineup. And so I think you need that guy hitting right there in the cleanup spot. He's going to get those guys home when they're on base. Um, and there's there's nobody I trust in the lineup more than him to get the job done. Yeah, totally agree. He He's your run producer now. Like, he he's your reliable, when he's in the lineup, reliable run producer that's going to hit the home runs and the clutch base hits and just 40 home run, 120 RBI potential if he's in this lineup every day. He has to be fourth. Uh Anderson, Benintendi, Vaughn for me, like those are three guys that I think are going to be on base a lot in front of him and having a, you know, bloop, bloop and a blast sometimes is all you really need to carry an offense for a night. So yeah, I I want Eloy Jimenez coming up with as many guys on base as possible. And I think he's a good reset too for uh, speed now some power, then you maybe go into some more speed and then some more power. So yeah, this is the fourth guy 
lock it in. Hopefully he's there for 140 games and we finally start to realize he's one of the elite power bats in all of baseball. Yeah, I don't necessarily have speed coming after him here, um, but I do have another guy who I think is primed to have a big year offensively, and you touched on him earlier, and that is Andrew Vaughn. I have him in the five spot. I like him hitting behind Eloy um, because if he does take a big step forward, um, if he is really a middle-of-the-order threat here like I think he's going to be, that helps Eloy as well because you're not going to have teams trying to pitch around Eloy to get to Andrew Vaughn when Andrew Vaughn is a dangerous hitter himself. Um, so I really think that three, four, five of Robert Jimenez Vaughn, it can be a lethal trio there in the middle of the lineup. Um, and I'm willing to, I'm willing to play with that order a little bit if they need to, but I think this is what they should do to start it. Yeah. Uh, so, I, I mean, I don't mind those guys being back to back either. I mean, I obviously have them just in different spots at three and four. So eventually you have to put a couple heavy hitters next to each other and maybe have a couple guys that are lugging it around the base paths. But uh, I expect Eloy Jimenez to hit a lot of home runs, like I said, and right after him, uh, I have somebody who I want to get things started again. So in my five spot, I am taking somebody who I might be a bit bearish on this season. I'm tentative towards him. But one thing I do know is that he will take his pitches, make a guy work and get on base. So I'm going with Yoan Moncada as my number five. I tried to work in some right, left, right, left, right, left too. So righty on the mound, he comes in from the left side. Uh, if you need somebody to get things started after Jimenez goes, or maybe to kick off the second inning, Yoan's a good guy to get on base. Uh, that's a fine on the base paths in terms of his speed and his ability to run. And, um, you know, I, I think fits in well right there, surrounded by other big bats that potentially protect him. So I have Yoan Moncada in the five spot. Yeah, I've got Yoan Moncada in the six spot. So he is next for me as well. Um, obviously, he is a guy who had a bit of a down year last year, is going to be looking for a bounce back. Um, I think putting some of the big bats ahead of him to get on base in front of him is going to be uh, kind of crucial here. And then, like you said, he's a switch hitter, so he can he can hit ahead of some of these guys that are, and you'll see this later in my lineup, but you know, you can use him to alternate the handedness coming up. You can use him in a spot where you feel like you need somebody to get on base because regardless of, you know, how productive he's been at the plate, he still does take walks. He's still a patient hitter. Um, and if there is a chance for him to rebound this year, then I still like him up near the middle of the order rather than down there at the end of the lineup. So it's only one spot difference. You've got Moncada five, I've got him six, but I think that range is probably the best spot for him in the lineup. Yeah. Uh, I, this is my Luis Robert spot here at number six. Um, you know, I, I thought about going a spot lower to be honest. And, but I, I mean, it, it's weird from a guy that has hit at the top of the White Sox lineup for a couple of years now to kind of be talking about Luis Robert as your six or seven hitter in my eyes. But um, I, I think he has, he has some stuff to prove to me still like with some of his consistency and I don't want to, give a spot at three or four in my lineup or even two for that matter to a guy who can consistent can't consistently have quality at bats and, and that's the issue with him is slumps happen bad stretches happen bad weeks happen power is not always there 
but you have to put together some quality at bats to hit regularly at the top of the lineup for me. And and right now, Luis Robert isn't doing that. I I think at six, he's in a good spot because we know he can run. Uh, We know that he, uh, so what he does on the base pass, this gives him another chance to, um, you know, drive in guys like Jimenez, Moncada batting in front of him. So there's still RBI chances, but I don't want you hitting four or five times a game if I can't trust you to get deep into counts and see your pitches. I think he's a guy who immediately rises in the lineup if he starts to show it. But um, I I start him at six. I I think you could go seven if you really had to, but that's where I have him. Yeah, to your point about uh, guys that could potentially be risers in the lineup, my next two, I believe, fit into that category. Um, So batting seventh, I have Yasmani Grandal. And Yasmani Grandal is a guy that I am very optimistic about this season. Uh, Last year, you know, he kind of, he looked bad. He, the power was gone. He hurt himself on a couple different occasions and he just wasn't the same guy that he was in 2021, but he was very honest about that uh, in the off season. He did an interview on uh, the White Sox talk podcast where he talked about that. And he said that he wasn't really healthy at all. Uh, he couldn't really move his legs because his back was bothering him. Um, he has spent the off season training with members of the Chicago Blackhawks coaching staff, strength and conditioning staff, and not to use the best shape of his life thing, but you know, Grandal says he feels great. He's ready to go. And his at-bats have looked good in spring training. So I'm optimistic about Grandal. I think you need to start him towards the bottom of the lineup because I think he is somebody that needs to earn his way up higher. Um, But I think he very well could do so. So for now I have him in seventh um, and that is back-to-back switch hitters. If you'll notice for me and Moncada and Grandal. Um, And I like having those guys that can bat lefty or righty down there at the end. So if you've got a lefty on the mound, then you've got a, a long five in a row of righties there in the middle of your lineup. But if you've got a righty on the mound, uh, then you've got a couple of guys who can bat lefty down at the bottom of the lineup and up at the top. So I like the versatility that having those two switch hitters down there provides. Um, but that's a guy that I think could definitely rise. Yeah, I have him at seven too. Uh, where I disagree is I guess I don't think he can rise for me. And, and my issue with Yasmani Grandal higher in the order is his legs. Like he is a, a roadblock. Like he, he's a traffic toll at the end of the highway for some of these guys on the bases. And even if he has a great year as a hitter, which I, I agree with you, I think he's a prime bounce back candidate. And we know he gets on base. Like he walks so, so much more than everybody else in this lineup. That's a strength of his, but I can't have him hitting in front of Luis Robert ever. I can't have him hitting in front of even Yoan Moncada ever or Tim Anderson. Like I, I want to keep him away from speed as much as possible because you know, Luis Robert's speed does nothing for you if he's behind Yasmani Grandal on the bases. So that, because you can only run as far as the guy in front of you can make it. So uh, I don't know. That's the issue with me where I think seven is a good spot here to, Uh, potentially get on base for the back end of this order and like try and turn the order over a little bit. Uh, He has enough pop. If he does have that bounce back year to be a run producer and another power bat switch hitter, like you said, but he is as slow as I have ever seen. And and that can be a problem 
it, you have to bat him like fourth or seventh, I think, because either one of the other places he starts to become a liability on the bases. Uh, I assume that you are going Colas Andrus as eight, nine, which is also the order that I have. So you can talk about both of those together. Yeah. One more quick note on Grandal. Uh, I would love to see Paul Canerco in the last couple years of his career and Yasmani Grandal from 2022 race. It might be um, worse, man. It genuinely might be worse. Like I am blown away sometimes by, and I love Yasmani Grandal, but I am blown away by how slow he's moving on the base path sometimes. Like it makes sense. And, you know, he said himself that he couldn't really move last year because of his back and his legs. So well, he was he's never before his, yeah, before I mean, he's year. never been fast, but it was, it was a bit absurd last year, how slow yeah. he was. And I, I expect maybe now that he's healthy, there's a little bit of improvement, but he's not a burner. He never has been. He's not a guy that's going to be, you know, taking the extra base or stealing bases. That's, that's just not who he is. He's going to walk and he's going to hit home runs. And that's what you pay him to do. So um, you're correct. I have Oscar Colas hitting eighth and Elvis Andrus hitting ninth. Um, Colas is another guy that I think could very well earn his way up higher in the order um, based on performance. But the White Sox have done this for years, and I, I think this is the right way to go about it. When you have a guy who hasn't proven himself, who's a rookie or new um fairly young you just you put him near the end of the order and you make him earn his way to the to the front of the order and like I said you know I like Colossus power potential this year if he if he comes out you know hitting five homers in the first month of the season then you look at it and say okay you know maybe we put this guy up in the order behind some of our high on base guys because he can drive him in kind of thing but I like him in the eighth spot, and I do have Elvis Andrus in the ninth spot. Um, I think a lot of people refer to the nine spot in the order as your second leadoff guy. Um, so I do like I do like Andrus there. I've seen him leading off some for the White Sox with Tim Anderson gone at the World Baseball Classic. So I think if there's a day that Tim Anderson is off, uh, I I think that we could see him leading off or hitting near the top of the order, but. You know, high on base guy, another speed guy, uh, and just a guy that's going to be a nice end to more of the big bats in the middle. Um, as much as he tried to be one last year in September, Elvis Andres is not a a big power guy. He's not at one of the big hitters in the White Sox order. So I think the end of the order where he can get on base and uh, get it over to the top of the lineup is the right spot for him. Yeah, I mean, totally agree. Oscar Colas has to go towards the bottom just to kind of, uh, you got to earn your pinstripes a little bit down there. So that's what, but that's where he's going to be. And then Elvis, a good guy to uh, be that second leadoff guy to get things going, get on base for Tim and another guy that runs well. No, that's why I had Colas Andrus as eight, nine, two guys that run well so that, you know, Tim and Ben and Tendi come around. Uh, once you turn the order over, they're not, you know, log jammed by somebody who can't run at the bat like the bottom of that order so yeah I, I like uh i like that my thing goes right left right right switch right switch left right so i tried to be pretty uh pretty back and forth as i know you were too there's one other spot uh in the opening day lineup card and uh pedro Grifol will not say who's going to be in it until after the world baseball classic concludes 
that's the starting pitcher. So uh, the person on, on the bump for the White Sox in the past has been Lucas Giolito. Uh, it's kind of been a, a right. I don't know. Being the opening day starter to me is like a rite of passage that I think is really, really cool about baseball to like, if you go back around the league and look at opening day starters from X year, it's, it's awesome to see like the number of aces that it's like you throw your best guy. The other team throws their best guy. It's, you know, kicking off the new season with all of the game's best pitchers that you get to watch throw. And then sometimes there's just like a name that flashes up for one year or another year. And you're like, Oh, that's fine. I remember when he was pretty good and he was the opening day starter for whatever team. Uh, but the White Sox have been one of the more consistent teams with it over the years. I mean, I think you had one Jeff Samarja year uh, mixed in there. Jose Quintana, I believe, got one, uh, I think. But it's been yeah, Giolito for the last few. Chris Sale obviously did so many in a row, and Mark Burley took it for nearly a decade. So uh, the White Sox have been pretty fortunate when it comes to having their guy that they know is getting the ball on the first game of the year. Who is that guy for you this year? Because I think there's a couple different options. Lucas Giolito, like I said, has been that guy. He was not that guy on the mound last year, but uh, so do you go back to him? Lance Lynn, a very experienced starting pitcher who maybe Pedro was alluding to when he said he wouldn't do it until after the WBC and Lance Lynn quickly became Team USA's ace during this tournament as well. And a guy that Mark DeRosa wants to give the ball to in big spots. But uh, then there's Dylan Cease, who we know what he did last season. We know uh, kind of uh, the pitcher that he was of being the White Sox ace in their rotation, at least in how he performed on the mound. If you are Pedro Grifol, who are you giving the ball to in night one? Yeah, it's a good question, and I think there can be an argument made for multiple guys, um, and I do think Pedro Grifol's comment was interesting. For those of you that didn't see it, Pedro was asked who his opening day starter is, and this was a couple of weeks ago, and he said that he's not going to announce that until after the World Baseball Classic, um, which seemingly would hint at the fact that it would be Lance Lynn, um, but you know, like you said, Opening day starting is an honor, I think, in baseball. Um, it is something that you give to someone who deserves it, someone who's earned it. And I don't think there's anyone on the White Sox that earned it more than Dylan Cease last year. Um, also, you know, we are t- today, Dylan Cease started today. Um, we're filming this on the 19th. We are 11 days from opening day. So, you can do the math in your head, but that would just about line it up for Dylan Cease to take the ball on opening night. Um, so it makes sense from that standpoint. The guy finished second place in the Cy Young Award voting last year. It makes sense from that standpoint as well. So my gut feeling and what I would do uh, is that they are going to name Dylan Cease their opening day starter, and he's going to get the ball on that Thursday night in Houston. Yeah, well, I'm not sure the uh... – the spring training days lining up matters a ton when it comes to this, because you're not really throwing your full amount of pitches. I think if there is a thing for Lance Lynn here of why it would be him, maybe he's the most ramped up and like ready to go because he has been throwing more pitches and having almost full starts for team USA where cease today, I think four innings was like the most that he has done so far. And like kind of a, you know, we, we know the struggles that he's had this spring as well. 
Uh, but yeah, I agree with you. I, I do think it's an honor and, and like, it might seem insignificant and be like, well, start whoever you have to start, whoever it falls in line with. But um, it, Dylan Cease was your guy last year. He carried you throughout the entire season and especially that second half kept you alive. So sometimes teams will just go to the veteran and like the biggest name or whoever, uh, you know, has been the the mainstay in their rotation but I think Dylan Cease really established himself as the number one, bonafide number one in the White Sox rotation for years to come. And as Michael Kopech hopefully surges and comes up here and we hope for a Lucas Giolito bounce back and uh, our optimistic Lance Lynn can be the same reliable vet that he has been, all things surround Dylan Cease uh, and should continue to do so for the foreseeable future. I think it's time to pass the baton to him and kind of say, all right, Dylan, you are now the guy uh, for the Chicago White Sox at the top of our rotation. I would give him the ball. Um, and I think it'd be cool to see that kind of see that passing of the torch happen this year. So yeah, that that's uh that's kind of it, right? I mean, it's, those nine should be the starters in the lineup and on the field. Uh, and hopefully they're backing uh, Dylan Cease, who's 74. Am I blanking on his number right now? Or is that right? 74? I don't know. 80, I couldn't tell you. 84. He's got some atrocious number. I don't know what it is with this team. I'm going to look it up real quick. It's not 74 because that's Eloy, I think. I don't Eloy know. is 74. You're yeah. right. Uh, Dylan Cease is 84. 84. That's what I thought. Okay, so... Eloy's 74, Abreu was 79, Cease is 84. Those are like the numbers of the guys that are just randomly signed on minor league deals that show up in training knowing they're not going to make the team. What is Oscar Colas doing? He said like 77 or something or 88 or whatever. Or no, Robert's 88. So that's a weird one. So then what is what Colas? 76. But I, I think he was switching for the regular season. I thought I heard that he was doing something odd too. It's like, why can we not just be like, be Tim Anderson, just be number seven. Like how, how hard is that to just be number like, just have a number. No, this is this... the future, man. We're going to get to the point where all the lower numbers are retired by every team. So we're going to have to be choosing from. No, these. listen, some of these are cool. Like 88 on Luis Robert is awesome. Because I mean, that's like, that's an NFL number. It's a wide receiver number. It's Dale Earnhardt Jr. Like it, it is a, it's a number in sports that I'm like, Hey, we got to start. We got to bring 88 back here, but like 76, that, that does absolutely nothing for me. We got to be better than that. Um, maybe if they're following in Jose Abreu's footsteps, but like, like, let's be Juan Moncada. Let's be number 10. Let's be number seven. Let's be number five. I, I don't know. Well, it's kind of weird, hard to keep track of, but. Let me see if I can find it real quick. I want to know what uh, what number Oscar Colas is going to wear because this is a this is important stuff for anybody out there that's trying to buy a jersey. I can't find it. All right. Well, maybe next week we will have uh, the Oscar Colas number for you all, or maybe we shall tweet it out from our Twitter account, Noah. That's P I O T B Pod. Uh, on Twitter, P-I-O-T-B pod for put it on the board pod. Uh, follow us to check out some clips, to check out what guests we have coming up, to get links to the show, just in case you're scrolling through social media. Um, and forget that we put out an episode and that you should go through your Spotify feed and you, it, you should have already downloaded and subscribed to the podcast so that it pops up on your Spotify 
if you have not, and you're showing me something as, do you have the number here? I do. Uh, I have a tweet from Scott Merkin, uh, White Sox beat writer, MLB.com uh, from February 21st. Oscar Colas is wearing number 76 here during spring training. Uh, the jersey that was assigned to him. If he should break camp with the team, he wants to wear number 44. Nick, what is that? That's a reliever number. I don't know. It, cool, though. I, I do re- respect the back-to-back. Like, 88 and 44, I can get in with. I know he's like fr- he's good friends with Luis, too. I love the the video of a white Sox put it out on YouTube. Go take a watch. If you haven't, it's a day in the life with Luis Roberts of him back home in Cuba. And you see him with his mom and his dad and uh, they're like making food and his sisters are there and then they're getting ready for dinner. And he just goes, Colas, you hungry? And they, they look over to the table and Oscar Colas is sitting there with a big grin in Luis Roberts house. They hung out all off season and trained together. So uh, fun relationship that will now be together in center field and right field for your Chicago White Sox. 10 days, Yoan Moncada days away from opening day. That's all for today's episode. Next week, we are coming with season preview, White Sox superlatives, everything packed into one, maybe a longer episode. We'll try and keep it brief, but all things 2023 White Sox, uh, our predictions, our thoughts, our emotions, our expectations, all of which may be let down, but hopefully will be blown out of the water by this team. Who knows? 10 days away. The excitement is real. Keep up with the podcast. Follow us on Twitter at P-I-O-T-B pod. Download and subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts. However it is that you are listening, make sure it's popping up and reminding you weekly episodes every Monday like this one throughout the season. Uh, We have a lot to go over and things are just getting started. So stay dialed in with us. We will keep on putting out good content and keep putting crooked numbers up on that board. We'll see you.